0: Offering and the gifts from last night, the generosity of so many of you, we have felt it. Uh, it has been in great evidence for us. Thank you so much uh, for your love for the Lord and your demonstration of that to us. Uh, before I forget, let me mention that at the back at that little table, there's a little slideshow uh, of pictures of ministry. We talked about it in the Sunday School Hour, but if you want to know more, you can grab a prayer card. Uh, that's a prayer prompter for you to remember to pray for us but also there's some contact information and also there's a sign-up sheet if you would like to get newsletters from us we send one out quarterly or or even more often than that Um, if uh, if we have something special to share let me invite you to do that so that we can stay connected and I think that you'll be blessed by that um, if you want to be. So this missions conference, your pastor has shared with us, all of who presented, and he shared, uh, he shared it to all of you on Thursday night, that one of his prayers is that God would use this, this particular missions conference, to perhaps lay it on someone's heart or some family's heart to actually say, you know what, I'm going to look back at that conference and say, that's what God used to move me into missions, whatever that looks like but to, to get you to someone, someone here to take that step. And, you know, that's appropriate to do. It's appropriate to bring that to our conscience, uh, our consciousness, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's a decision point, right? It, you either do it or you don't do it. And so wrapped up in all of that is the, the awareness that oh, I've got there's a decision here at some point. And so it's very appropriate to bring it to our consciousness. Now, let me invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. This is a chapter we're going to be looking at. Not, we're going to exposit some. It's going to be more of a survey. Uh, and you'll see as we go through it uh, what our intention is this morning. But w- as I think about my life and what God used to get me into the mission field, I realized that it was several things. First of all, it was the fact that I grew up in a Christian home. And I went to a a church, a gospel believing, Bible preaching church that emphasized missions. And I can't overstate the importance of that. The second thing that God used was annual missions conferences. I mean, I remember the flags, I remember the international banquets, I remember the workshops, I remember the display tables and the prayer cards. And I remember the sermons on the harvest fields being ready and wide and the laborers being few. And I remember the sermons on the Great Commission. So all of that was in my consciousness. And yet, I still not quite there. Still on the edge of my seat, as it were. Kind of not really. I agree with it. And it's great. Ah, That was me. Christian home, Christian school all the blessings that you could imagine, and yet I was not quite there myself. The third thing, was alluded to it in the video, was a short-term missions trip that I took. So let me just put the plug in there for you. Go see what God is doing, wherever it is in the world. And you can't help, if you love the Lord, you will be impacted by that. Now, God used that trip in my life in a very particular way because what kept me in my seat even knowing all the truth, were fears and obstacles. So I just I want to explore that a little bit with you today because I think if we can name those and deal with them biblically and appropriately, it might be what God can use to get you out of the chair figuratively and into the labor fields. I think, and, and let me just say, that's for people of all ages. It can be for a six-year-old this morning to say, I want to be a missionary. It can be for an eight-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 38-year-old or a 75-year-old. Who is the one who gives us our life? God does, and he, he has numbered our days, and we're here for a purpose. There are only two things on this earth that last forever, the Word of God and people. So how are we prioritizing that gift of life that he has given to us. Number one, fear, I think, is a fear of inadequacy. And there are many reasons for this. Uh, that was one of my fears. I didn't feel like I could do it. Like I wasn't special or gifted. You know, missionaries to me were a, a class of super Christians. And I told you in that video, and I'll say it again, no, we're normal people just like you. But, you know, also there's that feeling of an inadequacy because we're not walking with the Lord. And you know you can't do it because you don't love him like you ought to. There's sin in your life. And so church is supposed to help with that one. The Holy Spirit, the means of grace through his word, fellowship with believers. And so there's feelings of inadequacy that can be there. If you want to write these down and then maybe deal with them later, see, what, see what, where your heart is with this and do business with the Lord. Second one is fear of the unknown you know, fear is legitimate. It's, it's not necessarily right, but it is real. The unknown, I don't know what it is. Well, that's, that's where missions conferences and short-term trips come in. You see it, and a lot of these questions get answered, but that fear of the unknown is a big one for some people. Fear of sacrifice is another one. Um, for me, this was a big one, and I'll just be very open and transparent with you. I like running water and real toilets I like air conditioning and I I, that was that was one of the things that kept me in my chair well one of the ways to break down that obstacle is to go for a short period of time and see what people are doing and you realize oh missions doesn't have to look like thatched roof huts and it, it can look like urban Brazil right it can look like metropolitan Dalhart. It really can. So, but that can be a real feel, a, a real fear for for many people. I, it was for me. That was a big one for me. I thought that, you know, plumbing and air conditioning were normal. Then I realized that we're the anomaly. We're the outlier for all of human history and all of civilization. Like even today, it's it's an anomaly. It's an outlier. And uh, the short-term trip helped help overcome that one for me. But another one there is family. You know, distance from mom and dad and grandparents and, and all the rest. That's a big one. How do you deal with that one? Well, you've got to be word-saturated. This isn't a sermon, but it's maybe a sermonette. What did Jesus say? He said, if you forsake houses and lands and mother and father and family for my name's sake, I'm going to give you a hundredfold. you have the right perspective on that? This leads to the next one, a wrong perspective on life. Many of you don't have the full picture, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I got a job already, or, or if you're really spiritual, you can say, my ministry is whatever, but you're living for yourself. And this is really difficult because only you know it. Because a pastor can minister and be doing it for pride and can be doing it for, for, for import, a feeling of importance. Anyone can do anything for the wrong motives. So what is your perspective? Do you have the right perspective on life? Who are you living for, and who gave you life anyway? Um, number five, a wrong default setting. And This is where just the heart of Christ comes in, and we need to be living this and thinking this and praying this. But rather than saying, I'll go if God calls me, why not say, I know God wants people to go. I'll go unless he leads me to stay. Now that is going to look like different things for different people. But maybe we have a wrong default setting. Why are we still here on this earth? God saved us, right? For what purpose? To glorify him, to glorify our bodies to dwell with him forever. So why not just do it? Why not just, boom, you're saved, let's go to heaven? Because we have a job to do, right? It's not our life. It's his life in us. It's his mission. So maybe we have the wrong default setting. All All of these reasons, and there are more. These are just ones that were very real and raw for me. All of these reasons can be boiled down to an inadequate view of God and God's purposes. So if you want to write one of them down, write that one down. An inadequate view of God and of God's purposes. And that's what we're going to consider this morning. We're going to deal with that obstacle as we look at Ephesians chapter 3. Now, athletes envision themselves in the end zone. Making the big play hitting the home run, making the basket or the slam dunk, landing the jump, you name it. They envision that. They practice. That's what helps them get through the grueling regimen of two-a-day practices and 5 a.m. gym sessions. And that's what gives them the impetus and motivation to forego another plate of cookies or another milkshake because they want the prize. Okay, It's not that they don't like these things, but they have decided that's where I'm going. That's the big picture. They want the trophy. They want the championship. But that's what keeps them going. It's not because they love the practice. It's not because they love the strict diet. It's because they love what they're going to get when they do it. Because they see the big picture. So this morning, let's just think through and meditate on What is God's ultimate purpose for everything? You know he tells us that? He tells us that all over his word, but we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3 as we get started. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to give you the outline straight away so that if you're a note taker, you can write it down and then put your pen away and listen. It's going to be hopefully helpful for us this morning. Number one, two points. The first point is this. The ultimate purpose for everything and where mission fits in. God is glorifying Himself by calling out a people for His name. God is glorifying Himself by calling out a people for His name. He is the center, not us. It is His doing. Not ours. That's the first point. The second point is this we are glorifying God as part of that body. We are glorifying God as part of that body. We display His manifold wisdom in us and through us. We're going to see that in this chapter. Our part in that plan of God, in that purpose of God, is to display His manifold wisdom in us and then through us. And then underneath that, we fulfill then His eternal purpose for us and through us. So God is glorifying Himself and we are glorifying God. In both of those, God is the one getting the glory. This is what God is doing. Here is the big picture. God is glorifying Himself by calling out a people for His name. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. In the great plan of redemption, God is the center. This chapter tells us the story of what God is doing. So I'm going to assume a little bit a fund of knowledge about Ephesians. I'm sure that you've read some of it. Many of you have read the whole letter of Paul. And you may have heard many sermons about it. This is meant to add to that. Okay, Chapters 1 and 2, Paul's laying out a a brief systematic theology. He's giving uh, his insight and his role into the mystery of Christ, which is that God is making one body, the church, which includes Israel as the church is grafted in, one body in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only way. And then in chapter 3, Paul says, look at verse 1 now in chapter 3. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. And then look at verse 14. He says, for this reason. So based on all that came in chapters 1 and 2, Paul says, for this reason. And then in verse 14, I bow my knees. So his response is, is to pray. And that's how we're going to close this morning. But verses 2 through 13 is one big parenthetical uh, phrase. It's one big parenthesis where Paul goes on a little rabbit trail and he gives insight into how he fits into that big picture. A little bit of a personal testimony. But what I want you to see is that God is doing something. He's building a people in one body despite all the differences that you can imagine. And one of the biggest differences in the world is the difference between Jew and Gentile. You want to talk about ethnic conflict? Think of the Middle East. And, and yet the gospel is the solution for that. And God is glorifying Himself through it. The big picture is that God exists from all eternity past, and He is creating a people for His name, Not just to save me, not just to save and do this work in my family, not just to do it in my circle of friends, not just to do it in my neighborhood, and my community, my church, not just to do it in my city, not just to do it in my own ethnic group or my own nation, but through all the world and throughout all generations, throughout all time, for His glory. For his honor. So look at how Paul addresses the Father in verse 15. He says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He is the source. And this work spans the length of time across all generations. Look at the end of the chapter. Look at the final verse. He says, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. But in saying that this is God's doing, what I want you to, what I want you to feel is, number one, you're not the center. But then number two, I want that to comfort you. And I want, to com- I want it to comfort you in this way. It's God's work. It doesn't depend upon you or me or your pastor. Look at verse 16. In this prayer, Paul prays that according to the riches of his glory, he, the Father, may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The source of strength for us is God. You're not looking at a strong person. You're not listening to a strong person. But that's who God uses. Paul himself says that. If you look at verse 8, Paul had the right perspective on his life. Verse 7, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power to me though I am the very least of all saints. Now, I don't think Paul was, but he knew he was. But that's the idea that I want you to see that it's, you're not looking at a special person with unique giftings that aren't available to other people who say I'm willing to be used as well. All of the strength comes from God. Let that comfort you and maybe move you out of your chair. But let it remind you that because it's his strength and his working, it's going to work. The gates of hell, even, cannot prevail against his church. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, verse 11, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom now, because we realize it's in him and his strength, And because it's already done, we have boldness and access with confidence to Him. That verb is past tense. He has realized it. There are some amazing implications of that as we consider how we fit into that big picture. So, point number one God is glorifying Himself by calling out a people for His name. What's the big picture? The big picture is that God is at work sovereignly creating a body, bringing about the redemption of his people through the merits of Jesus Christ. We heard the testimonies this morning. It is not our works that save us. It is the righteousness of Christ and his taking our punishment that saves us. Rejoice in that. And in that way, we see that God is glorifying himself. But notice, secondly, that we also play a part in God's work in bringing glory to God. So we saw at the beginning of the chapter that that Paul says, for this reason, I pray. And we saw insight into Paul's role in this big picture. You say, well, that's great. Paul was the first missionary. Paul was an apostle. Paul was extra special. And you're right, but Paul just said it. He was the least of all saints. So while we can acknowledge his unique role, we also need to see what our role is. So now let's dive in and let's look at verse starting in verse 10. Uh, 8 and 9, Paul says, you know, this is my plan. But God is doing a work, verse 10, so that through the church, The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, so that through the church. Who's that? That's us. This is our part in what God is doing. Now, notice a couple of things about this plan. First of all, this is an eternal plan. He says that in verse 11. An eternal plan. Jesus going to the cross was not plan B. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, this was the plan before the foundation of the world. Before Adam was created, God knew that Adam would sin. And what do you think Adam expected when God came to him after he had eaten the fruit? I imagine poor Adam expected the just wrath of God. And he did die. And all the consequences of sin that we suffer today are real. But what did he hear God tell the serpent? The seed of the woman will crush your head. This had been planned before the world was created. It's an eternal plan. But notice secondly that this plan is a guaranteed plan. I alluded to that earlier. It has been realized. What did Jesus say when He was on that cross? It is finished. Our redemption was accomplished. It wasn't a theoretical atonement. When Jesus died, He died for my sins. All of them. The ones I haven't even committed yet because the father is pleased with the sacrifice of his son. It's a guaranteed plan. And lastly, notice about the plan that it's, the, it's a grand plan, and grand is really too strong a word. We just watched the Andy Griffith show uh, the other night, and Barney Fife is talking about big news that's coming to Mayberry. It's about this escaped criminal. You probably know that episode. And and Barney bumbles his way through. He's telling Andy at the very beginning, it's big, it's big, it's big, it's big, it's big. And he Andy, Andy said, um, yeah, that's pretty big, all right. Well, big isn't the word for it, right? It's grand. It's the grandest of plans that we're talking about here. It's the plan of God redeeming lost sinners and reconciling them to himself. Through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ, to give us eternal life. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God in Christ Jesus is eternal life. And what is eternal life? It's the restoration of that relationship, being with God and knowing God, not just recognizing him, not just being acquainted with him, but knowing him, fellowshipping with him as our creator and also is our Redeemer. It's a grand plan. That's the plan. Now. We are supposed to display that plan. And it's called the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold. The idea of grandeur. You can't mind the depths of it. You can't spread your arms far enough to, to encompass it. It's bigger than you can imagine. You'll see that in the prayer. Now to... Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. You can't even imagine the plans that God is accomplishing for His glory. That's the purpose. We've already established that from this text. So we display the manifold wisdom of God. Now, I want you to notice something else. To whom do we display this? And this will give you an idea of the grandeur and the scale and the perspective so that you will have a right perspective of how we all fit into this, and maybe it'll move you out of your seat, figuratively. You know, the blessing of God and salvation shows us personally what our God is like. He's a father. He's a shepherd. He's a savior, a redeemer, a friend. We see something on display in the gospel but it's not just for us it's for other people right we share that and other people watch and observe in John 17 and in, in Christ's prayer Christ gives a right to the world to determine whether the father sent the son by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have loved one for another so other people are supposed to see this but it's not just for you it's not just for your friends and acquaintances, it's not just for the church family. It's for your brothers and sisters throughout the world, and it's not just through them. It's for your brothers and sisters in all humanity throughout all ages. But it's not just for them either. See, look again here at verse 10. So that through the church, that's us, this is our part. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Let's get a biblical perspective of what this scale is. Okay, Imagine a pre-COVID stadium filled with 80,000 people cheering their team, watching what's happening on the field. Okay? Who are authorities and rulers in the heavenly places? That's the spiritual realm. These are angels and demons. It's an inclusive idea of the heavenly realms here. And God is saying to them, hey, come here. I want you to watch what I'm going to do for my glory. I'm going to take a weak person and do exploits through them. I am going to take rebels and make them friends. I am going to take the poor and despised and make them loved. I am going to display my glory as a, as a redeemer. He says, come here, you angels. And, and the angels to. they longed to look into this. And he says, come here, demons, I want you to watch and see who I am. Watch what this family is doing. That's a successful businessman who has millions, who gives a lot of that away for crazy causes, according to the world, But he's doing it for my glory. You see that doctor family? The world thinks he's a big deal. He's not really a big deal. You and I both know that. He's just He's just dust. Watch what he's going to do. He's going to take his family and move to Africa. You see that? Now, who is that glorifying? It's glorifying God. It's a display of God's glory. Now, so my question is, wouldn't you like to be a part of that? If you have the right perspective, you see that it's not about us. You could almost say, that we are secondary effects of the gospel. We're we're what falls to the ground as, as the morsels from the dinner table. Because God says, I am the Redeemer. I am going to do something for my son. And that is to create a bride for him. We're that bride. We get eternal life as the blessing and bounty of God thrown our way to display his glory. Do you see that? That is this chapter. It's the whole Bible, but it's it clearly explained here. Now, wouldn't you like to be a part of that? So we, through our obedience, when we see that big picture, when we see that the, you know, the ultimate reality is that God's doing a work, it may be that your part in that grand plan is to bow the knee and turn from your sin and say, yes, I've been a rebel. And now I want want forgiveness. I want life. And and it may be now that you say, you know what? I've had the wrong perspective about my 70 years on this earth, my short pilgrimage, or my 75 or 80 years, or whatever it's going to be, we don't know. And to put that in light of eternity, one of the best illustrations I've ever heard, which doesn't do justice to the reality of what it is, but it helps me, is is in driving down the highway on a driving rainstorm, through a driving rainstorm, and you feel and you hear the rain just pounding on your truck. almost said car, but I'll say truck since I'm in Dalhart. And your wipers are going like this, and you can barely see the road, and you drive under an overpass. And what happens? For a brief second, it's. That brief second is like our life here in relation to all eternity, both before and after. With that perspective in mind, we see that we're not the central focus of reality. We're a brief mist of vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away from this earth but our souls are going to be somewhere forever and God's doing a work and every single person that the father gave to the son John 17 two, you can look that up every single person that the father gave to the son will be saved will be saved and God says I'm going to do that through the church I'm going to do that through the work of missions He could snap his fingers, figuratively, and we would all be perfect. But he just didn't do it that way so that he can display his glory to the authorities and rulers in the heavenly places. And they will marvel because we're nothing. But God uses us. He says, in effect, listen, the championship game has already been won. Would you like to join the team? We already have the trophy. And you might say, but but I didn't do anything. That's That's not a legitimate objection. He knows that. By his grace and love and mercy, he's inviting you to come join the team. You may say, well, I don't have the skill. He knows that. I can't coach. I can't teach. He knows that. But He invites you because He's doing the work. And because we're weak, in fact, because we're dust, He gets more glory. So, would you please let the Bible correct your thinking? Would you please reorient your perspective? We need this. You need to hear this message not just today, but again. You need to be immersed in the Word of God so that you can have the right perspective so that those obstacles can be overcome they're real obstacles i'm not discounting that but what i want to do is say those real obstacles are like when you hold your thumb up right here and you say i can't see anything well just put your thumb out a little bit and see what god is doing you don't even notice your thumb anymore because you see everything if you can see a glimpse of god here in this big picture calling out a people for his name for his glory and that our part in that is to glorify God again. You might just be that more willing to go. Now, what is our response? Well, Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees. So let's close our time together by looking at this prayer very briefly and understanding what Paul is praying for. I wish we had another two, three, four hours. Because this prayer, could, it, it, it deserves its own series. Okay, We can't do that, but I do want these words now to inform our thinking. For this reason, I bow my knees, verse 14, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Lord, you're doing the work of missions through us, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, he may grant us, he may grant me, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in my inner being so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith that i being then rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all that i may be filled with all the fullness of god now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that i could ask or all that i could even think according to the power at work within me, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Lord, I want my life to glorify you. Now, I've already given you the conclusion, but let me just highlight a few aspects of this prayer. He prays for strength. Let me just talk about strength of knowledge very quickly. How many of you have ever been driving down the road and your wife says, are we going the right direction? Or maybe your husband says, if you're, are we going the right direction? And you say, I think so. I know. Well, we have GPS nowadays, but you remember pre-GPS days, you would go somewhere, you'd have to stop and ask for directions. Well, theoretically, right? If you were certain where you were going, no matter how many times your passenger asked the question, are we going in the right direction? That question would not bother you because you had strength of knowledge. You see that? But if you didn't have, if you thought you knew, but it wasn't really settled, you're going to get shaken up by that question. So Paul prays for strength. Very key. It's very important that we understand that we have a biblical view of the big picture. If you know what God is doing, if you know. What God has already done, you are going to be brave enough to act. Do you see that? That link is so vital because our fears, our doubts, our uncertainties, our feelings of inadequacy will keep us in our seats. But God's spirit and God's strength is meant to get us to obey him. I'll never forget this illustration. This, this really happened. Chick-fil-A is a special treat for our family. They don't have those in Africa. We went to a Chick-fil-A again pre-COVID days, and um, the playground was there, and the kids wanted to go play, and they couldn't open the door. I so said, I can't open the door. So said, go, go push on the door, and I come right behind them. And as they're pushing on that little, pulling on that little handle, I pull on the big handle. And the door opens. And what do I tell my kid?
1: Good job!
0: Way to go! Now, who opened that door? I did. But I let my child be a part of that. That's what missions is. God's doing a work, and He invites us to take part. So conform your worldview to Scripture's portrait of the big picture. And it makes sense, not to the worldly mind, but if you desire to see the fame of the name and work of Jesus Christ spread to places where it isn't known, through your going, through your sending, surely through your prayers, it makes perfect sense. And it's totally worth it. So be encouraged, be burdened, be challenged, and may Liberty Baptist Church's display Of the manifold wisdom of God in you, one day be matched by the display of the manifold wisdom of God through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word stands forever, though heaven and earth shall pass away. Thank you that your power unto salvation has been preached here. Thank you that you are doing a work to glorify yourself. And thank you that we're not at the center of that. If it all depended upon us, Heavenly Father, it would fail. But it depends upon you. May that spur us and encourage us to live our lives for your glory, intentionally, day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: My life, my strength, my song This cornerstone, this solid ground Firm through the fiercest drought and storm What I of my depths of peace When fears are still in shining seas My comforter, my all in all love of Christ I said